right, everybody, it is that time again. Welcome back to the Mac Bandwagon Podcast, bringing you episode 14. As always, I am Zach Follador, joined by my co-host, Sam Thillman. Sam, it's been a big week for the Mac. We got some big news. It's Thursday. There's football. We got playoff baseball. The NBA Finals are going on. How you feeling out in Muncie? Man, it's been an overwhelming past few days, especially yesterday. I believe October 7th, yes, it was at 3 p.m. We got the official schedule. So we've got lots to talk about, lots to break down. And I'm just I'm just here for it. I'm with you there, man. I know the Mac, you know, they made us wait. I think a lot of people were getting a little bit impatient. I saw some people on Twitter, like, where the hell is the schedule at? Well, guys, uh, for all you guys that were waiting on the schedule, we got some good news for you. I'm sure you've seen it already, but the Mac schedule is here. We are going to have football in November. We're going to have Maction starting uh, November 4th. And, uh, you know, we're just under four weeks away, Sam. Four weeks, I believe, from yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. So four weeks from yesterday uh, is our first Mac football of the season. I know I'm excited, Sam. I know you're excited. Everyone here at the Hustle Belt is excited. I know Mac fans across the country are excited to be able to watch some weeknight football uh, in just under a month. So, uh, Sam, do you want to do you want to break that down for the audience real quick? Just uh, some of the, you know, I guess the overall details of the schedule and, and how all that's going to go. Yeah. So the general schedule is six game conference only schedule. No non-conference games. There's going to be one crossover divisional game. As you Mac fans know, Mac East to West divisions, they will do only one uh, crossover game. That's on week one. So like, for example, Ball State's taking on Miami, Ohio. That's the one non-conference game. Bowling Green's playing Toledo, et cetera, et cetera. I believe the first three games, you could correct me if I'm wrong, are on Tuesday, Thursday schedule. I believe the rest of them are on a Saturday schedule. So you get a mix of uh, your normal Maction Tuesday, Thursday weekday games along with some Saturday games. So I think that's interesting. The Mac football championship game is still Plan on happening Friday, December 18th, still at Ford Field, time to be announced. So I think that's basically everything we know so far. If you if you need to look at your team schedule, you can go to hashtag Maction at the official Max Sports. They have pinned it at the top so you can look at your team's schedule and all that. Yeah, I all great stuff. We're all excited about it. You almost na- nailed it, Sam. It's so the 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 weeknight games are gonna be Tuesday and Wednesdays. And then Tuesday, um, Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you were right that though the first the first three weeks are going to be exclusively weeknight games, and then starting with week four on Saturday, November twenty eighth, uh, it's going to be Saturdays from there on out. So starting that weekend after Thanksgiving, which is usually the last weekend of the college football regular season, uh, the MAC games are going to move to uh, to Saturdays. One other quirk to mention is that um, in weeks two and three. Uh, the games are split between Tuesday night and Wednesday night. There's three each. However, for that first week on Wednesday, November 4th, all six games are going to take place that Wednesday. So it'll be interesting to see. They haven't announced kickoff times or anything like that, but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of, you know, space those games out. They also haven't announced anything in terms of television yet. So we don't know how many of these games are going to be televised. I don't know about you, Sam, but I would tend to think that, 
they probably did the first three weeks on weeknights with television in mind. I would imagine that ESPN is going to want to carry some of those games, especially because late October, early November is typically when the weeknight matching games start to happen anyways. So what, what are, what do you think, Sam? I guess, first of all, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about your school. Obviously no. you're, you're, uh, you're on campus there at Ball State in Muncie. When you look at Ball State's schedule, uh, your first reactions, what do you think? Uh, kind of rough, not going to lie. We started off with somebody I didn't think we would play. I, I said last week when we were talking about Miami, Ohio, I didn't think we would play Miami, Ohio. I, I Maybe the MAC commissioner just wanted to punish me for saying that or something. But looking at the remaining schedule, Eastern Michigan, I think that's a winnable game. Northern Illinois, that's a winnable game. Then you got uh, two to three straight kind of tougher games. You've got Toledo, who many people – considered to be a tough contender this year you've got central michigan who of course i think many people consider as contender as well and then you finish off with western michigan who is who is i think is going to be all right this season so when looking at the schedule i think it's an even mix of uh tough and easy schedule but i i would have like i would have liked an easier schedule to get us to a possible bowl game but hey if you want to be the best you gotta beat the best yeah, you're not wrong about that. And I, I also, I thought that was funny when I, I saw the the week one game versus Miami uh, for Ball State, because I do remember you last week saying how you don't want to play them after Manny Rugamba opted back in. And yeah, it's no it's no uh, secret that Miami's going to have a heck of a defense this year. You know, they got seven starters coming back now that, that, that uh, Rugamba is going to be playing again. So definitely not an easy start for the year uh for for the cardinals but i think you know what if, if they're gonna have the type of season that they think they can have that's a game that they should should probably win what uh outside of that or, or if maybe you do think truly that's that's the best week one matchup what what do you think what what games really catch your eye on on week one there obviously i know you'll be paying attention to ball state miami anything else there that that uh, catches your attention uh i'm currently looking at the schedule right now I'm, I'm going to the rivalry of Toledo and Bowling Green. I know a lot of Toledo and Bowling Green fans wanted to save it to the last game. Didn't happen. First game, it's a big rivalry game outside of Ball State, Miami, Ohio. I think that's the game to watch. Not to mention, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how Akron's going to start out this season playing Western Michigan, coming off a winless season. I just want to know what's going to happen there. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with both of those. My my first choice uh, when I was thinking about this question was that Bowling Green Toledo game. Bowling Green is coming off of a couple of lean seasons. I think there's a sense this year that they're going to be able to take a step forward. When it comes to that game, though, as we all remember from last year, and part of Toledo's disappointing season was being upset by Bowling Green. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how Scott Leffler and Matt McDonald and the Falcons look going into the glass bowl there on week one. Another uh, game that really intrigues me in week one there is you talk about Ball State getting a tough draw with having to go to Miami. Well, how about Northern Illinois trying to right the ship after last year missing a bowl game? They get to open up with with Buffalo. Now it is a home game, but if we're talking about talented and you know talent on the roster from top to bottom, I think we're both in agreement that Buffalo's at the top of the conference in that regard. So not an easy start to uh, to the season for Northern Illinois uh, and and Thomas Hammock this year as they look to to get back on track after um, their their disappointing season last year what do you think about in terms of just I mean 
obviously strength of schedule is a little bit skewed this year because we're only doing conference games. So we don't have anyone going to play, you know, anyone from the power five, but just looking at these conference games here, who do you, do you think any, any team here that got the short end of the stick that might've got a tougher schedule than anyone else? I'm going to go Northern Illinois. When you look at the schedule, I'm not necessarily looking at home or away because obviously I don't think there's going to be any fans. So I don't think that's going to dictate as much of the game. So when you look at it, they've got to play Buffalo, Central Michigan, Ball State, Western Michigan, Toledo, and Eastern Michigan. None of those games are really that easy to begin with. So it just seems like Northern Illinois is going to have a tough road ahead of them, starting out with two home games, yes, against Buffalo and Central Michigan, but those teams are very tough. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. And I think, you know, you look at that schedule and, and that six teams that I think in their own minds think that they could compete for the conference championship and can compete for a bowl game. So, yeah, those are uh, no, no easy games there for the Huskies. I looked at this schedule and, and I think, uh, you know, I, I'd be a little bit upset if I was Eastern Michigan. They are the only team. Uh, in the conference that's going to open up with two road games. I do agree with you in the sense that I don't think home field advantage is going to mean quite as much this year without fans in the stands, but there's still something to be said for having to go into someone else's stadium and travel and all the logistical issues and all that type of stuff. And on top of that, Eastern Michigan in week one is their crossover game. They draw Kent state at Kent state. So, you know, you're talking about a team there, uh, that's going to be competing for the Eastern Division crown that, you know, has Dustin Crum, one of the best players in the conference. So you got to go to Kent State in week one, and then you got to go down to Muncie uh, to take on Drew Plitt and the Cardinals in week two. That might be, I mean, let's be honest, Sam, that might be the two best offenses in the conference, and you got to play them back to back on the road in weeks one and two. Not an easy start to the season for Chris Creighton and the Eagles. No doubt. And, you know, I'm not a big believer in Chris Creighton. So like, I'm not very impressed what he's done in the conference uh, aspect the past few years. So I think this is the season to prove that he can prove it in a conference level, because obviously we know know all the upsets that he's done over the years. But I want to see if that he can be at the top of the Mac West consistently. And I think this is the year to prove it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And one other thing I looked up that I wanted to, to bring up here while we're talking about this, Sam, and um, you know, we, we get your thoughts as well. But when I was doing my research, looking at the schedule, I went back and I looked up what all of the kind of official rivalry games in the MAC were, you know, games that they play for trophies and stuff like that. The, you know, some of the, the, the more storied rivalries. Um, and of the top five, three, I'm sorry, of the top six, four of them are going to be played in week three. So it almost seems like the MAC kind of designated week three as rivalry week where you have Akron and Kent state playing for the wagon wheel. You got Miami and Ohio playing for battle of the bricks. Uh, you got ball state and Northern Illinois playing for the bronze stock trophy, which I never knew that was a thing. That's an interesting, I'd love to see what that trophy looks like. And then you got CMU and, uh, and Western Michigan uh, playing for the victory cannon all in week three. Now, a couple of the other notable rivalries you got, you, you mentioned Bowling Green and Toledo playing for the, the Battle of I-75 in week one, and then Kent State and Bowling Green uh, playing for the Battle of the Anniversary Award in week two. But it seems like there's going to be a lot of hot, hotly contested games there in week three that I know Mac fans are going to be really looking forward to. Uh, yeah, I'm here for it. The only thing I disagree, I think week three is kind of an odd week to do it. Yes, it's the middle of the season, but I think they missed a big opportunity to set it up 
towards at the last game because yeah. you got a lot of teams fighting for that MAC championship spot. You got uh, the last week. There's only six games. Every week matters. So you're gonna have possibly a five and one team or a five and zero team playing a five and zero team for a MAC championship bid. And I think it would have been perfect rivalry rivalry week last week. I think it would have been perfect to just slot it in the last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I agree completely. And you think about like traditionally in college football, a lot of times, a lot of those big rivalries are played in the last week of the season. So I, 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 tend, to, uh, I tend to agree with you there. Um, nonetheless, I think week three is going to be really interesting. One other thing that I think the MAC might have missed out on a little bit here is something that the Big Ten did that I thought was really cool, which is that last week of the season uh, during the MAC championship game, I would have loved to see them do matchups based on the, the way the standings finish so everyone can get one more game in. So, for example, in the Big Ten, for that same weekend on December 18th, when they have you're going to have the, the, the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West winners meet for the Big Ten championship team or championship game, but then the second place team in each division will play each other. The third place team in each division will play each other. I think it would have been really cool if the Mac would have done something like that too. It gives everyone a chance to play another game and another chance to go out there and, and, you know, get some extra film if they're trying to get to the next level or just generally speaking gives, you know, gives the fans one more game to watch. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you more match the better. I think a lot of teams aren't going to be able to uh, like, like, let's say Akron and Bowling Green. I don't think a lot of people have them high up and you only have six games, that's going to be tough. You're trying to, as Tom Arth and Scott Leffler, it's their second season. They need all the experience they can. I think it, I think your idea is excellent. Give uh, players an extra game to get ready. It, it's just, I, I think it's a smart idea that the Mac should have implemented. Yeah, for sure. So um, obviously th- this was the big news this week, guys. And um, we're, we're, we're just giving you a brief overview of, of the schedule and what it entails and some of our thoughts here over the next three episodes as we approach week one, we'll go a little bit deeper and break down the schedule, we'll break down the teams, the divisions, some of our predictions, stuff like that. We didn't want to get too in-depth with that here this week because we got some other stuff um, that you guys will see later in the episode. But um, we just wanted to give you guys a, a quick overview on uh, on the schedule and the release obviously that was the big news that everyone was really excited about yesterday and uh, as we're talking about football season and as we're talking about uh, the Mac and partnerships and stuff like that wanted to talk to you guys real quickly about home field apparel which is the premier direct cu- customer clothier for college sports fans and hustle belt have partnered for an exclusive line of t-shirts pick up your Tuesday night or jolly blogger shirt on homefieldapparel.com right now and you can save 20% off your entire first purchase by using the promo code HUSTLE. Every shirt you buy helps us out at the blog, and you'll feel good too, thanks to Homefield's exclusive 52% cotton, 48% polyester blend. Rep the best little blog in the Midwest today by going to homefieldapparel.com and using the promo code HUSTLE. So Sam, uh, before we move on to our, uh, our Twitter questions, um, any final thoughts on the schedule, anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't talk about? Not really. I think this uh, schedule is really solid. As I mentioned, I would rather have seen the rivalry, rivalry week switch to the uh, last game of the week. I'm excited. Hopefully my Ball State Cardinals can get it done week one. But I, I just wish I could be there in the stands to watch it. As far as I know, I don't think students are allowed to go as far as my knowledge so that sucks but 
hopefully it could be on TV and I can watch it. Yeah, and that was actually that's a good point you made just made, Sam. And that was another part of the press release that came out yesterday is that right now, unfortunately, it does look like these games are going to be no fans in the stands, which I know that's disappointing to you, Sam, and, and a lot of us that, that would love to be able to go watch these games live. Just going to have to hope that uh, ESPN will, you know, pick up a kind of an expanded Mac television package uh, for this year. So we'll see. So I'm going to put you on the spot real quick, Sam, before we move on. Uh, what's your prediction, Ball State, uh, in six games here? What do you think the final record is going to be for the Cardinals this year? I'm going three and three. I have wins against I have wins against Eastern Northern Illinois and a surprise win against Central. The reason I have a win against Central is we had a twenty point win twenty point lead against Central Michigan. A lot of the same talents returning. Central Michigan hasn't really figured out their quarterback yet. I think we have a solid edge in that game. Unlike unlike a lot of Central Michigan fans believe, the rest of them Miami Ohio I'm not not like too favorable on. I think Toledo's gonna be tough to defeat and then um, uh, Western Michigan. I just feel like that's just going to be a bad game for us all around. Yeah, I hear you. I think three and three is a, a reasonable, uh, a reasonable guess. I think I would probably, I might, maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic than you. I think I'm going to go four and two for the Cardinals, but Hey, you never know three wins, four wins here in, uh, in 2020, that still might get them to a bowl game because everyone's eligible this year. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, moving on, though, we had a couple of different um, Twitter questions this week that, that we had posed. Uh, one, um, one was last week on, on Friday uh, when we asked, um, you know, what, what, you know, if you had a chance to interview a Mac athlete or a coach, um, who would it be and why? Sam, I thought we had some really interesting responses to this question. Did you want to run through those real quick and we can talk about them a little bit? You guys gave us some excellent responses. Uh, so starting with Gutfield Gambling said, Oral Hersh- Hershiser, I hope I'm saying that right. Hershiser, because he, Hershiser, you got Hershiser, it. Hershiser, because he won a Cy Young. He's probably one of the most accomplished BG, BGSU athletes at the next level. Also, Scott Miller, about how crazy it is to go from playing in front of 20 people at the Doit to catching balls from Tom Brady. I mean, <laughs> what more can you say about that? A, a Mac athlete winning a Cy Young and an NFL athlete. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. Um, I, a little embarrassed to admit this, as someone that has followed the Mac closely for a long time, I'm not a big baseball guy, but I'm still surprised that I had no idea that Oral Hershiser uh, had gone to Bowling Green. So um, props to you, Gutfield Gambling, for pointing that out. Also, can't disagree with Scotty Miller. I mean, he's having a breakout season down in Tampa Bay for the Buccaneers. No doubt. And I, I don't think I mentioned this question was, if you had a chance to interview a Mac athlete or coach, can be current or former, who would it be and why? Also, what would you ask them about? I forgot to include that. We've got Deb Waldo said, Franklin from Western Michigan, and why after his freshman year he was put aside? Mis- misused as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think everyone was a little bit um, confused with with that, uh, back to what happened to, to, to Jarvin on Franklin. But, I mean, you know what? He's he's moved on. He, um, you know, I know he was – it, on the practice squad for the Steelers for a little bit. I believe if I'm not mistaken, he's up in Canada playing. Now I know the CFL didn't play this year because of uh, COVID, but I seem to remember him playing for, I want to say Ottawa or, or Toronto up in the CFL, but yeah, that would certainly be an interesting as well. I know that one's a little bit more, a little more recent on that one. Yeah, no doubt there. And then we've got Zach Corby said, Keith Dambro and his struggles with Akron's administrations. 
obviously he would go on record, but it would be nice to hear his candidate response. And I have to agree with Zach Corby. I think it would be interesting as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm with him there. I think Keith Danbrot's an interesting guy. I know anyone that listens to the show, they, you know, they know that I live in Pittsburgh. Well, Keith Danbrot's actually the, the coach at Duquesne now here in Pittsburgh. He left Akron to come here. And I, I know his, um, you know, kind of being at odds with the administration at Akron, I think was, was part of the reason for that. I, I think he would also be a really interesting guy to, to talk about, to talk to. Um, not a lot of people know, or maybe they do, I don't know. But he was also the LeBron's coach in high school and, and parlayed that success at St. Vincent St. Mary's into the Akron job where he was at Akron for over a decade, brought them to the NCAA tournament a couple of times and then uh, moved on down here to Duquesne. So I, I agree. I think he would be a really interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, no doubt. And it, like, I, 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 uh, I can't speak today. I would love to talk to any coach who is the winningest coach in school history, 304. 305 wins, 139 losses, back-to-back MAC conference uh, titles. I mean, what more can you say about that? Yeah, definitely. He is uh, he is a great college basketball coach. Again, he's at Duquesne now, and um, their last couple seasons have been the most successful they've had in probably 30 or 40 years. So, yeah, he's he certainly uh, would be a great guy to talk to. And now we move on to Don Scheibler, who said, why did Turner Gill take the Kansas job? He had to know better ones were coming. I'm also interested to see, I would assume he took it mostly for the money because let's be honest, Mac schools aren't paying much. Kansas was probably the first one to offer him and he wanted to coach immediately. Yeah, I agree with you. You look at his record when he played at, or when he was at, um, at Kansas. Yeah, it's not good, but not many people have won at Kansas. You see Les Miles is there now. He's struggling. I think a lot of people thought that um, this would be the year that he would start to turn them around. And then they got smoked by Coastal Carolina in their first game a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, I, I do agree that I think Turner Gill had really started to build the Buffalo program. I know we think about Buffalo now as being one of the best programs in the MAC, but you go back to the early 2000s and the late 90s, this was a bad, bad program. Um, and, you know, even, you know, in his, uh, in his four years, he was only 20 and 30 at Buffalo, but he went eight and six and five and seven those last two years. I do agree. I think if he would have stuck around a couple more years and maybe gone to another bowl game or two, I think he could have gotten a better job than Kansas. But, uh, you know, hindsight is 2020. I'm sure it was he was leaving for a little bit of a bigger paycheck. And I don't know if he might maybe he would do that differently if he had the chance to do it again. Maybe. I, I believe he's at the University of Arkansas right now. So interesting where people end up after they leave the Mac but moving on to Anthony Rabata said I'd want to ask Earl Boykins about his path to the NBA what are your what is your reaction Zach I love the Earl Boykins reference I tell you what I mean my man I remember when I was like 12 watching him play for the Golden State Warriors this little five foot five point guard that didn't even look like he should be on the same court as these guys. And he, I mean, his, I remember his ball handling was incredible. He had incredible court vision. I also happen to know that uh, if I'm not mistaken, the last time Eastern Michigan won a game in the NCAA tournament, uh, it was Earl Boykin was on that team. The only reason I remember that was because they upset my alma mater, Penn state. I want to say it was back. I want to say it was 1995, 94, 95, something like that, where Eastern Michigan had a couple good years in basketball. Earl Boykin was a big reason for that. And, and you look at his NBA career. I mean, nothing too crazy. He averaged about 20 minutes a game, nine points a game and three assists per game 
over. I mean, he was in the NBA from 1998 to 2012. He had a heck of a career. Um, you know, again, nine points a game, shot uh, 42% from the field, 35% from three-point land. That's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, you go to the NBA and you stay there for 14 years, you're doing something right. I mean, especially when most of the athletes are at least a foot taller than you. Like, that's impressive yeah. on its own right. Uh, I like Earl Boykins to me is a player that just like that like taught me as a kid like it didn't matter what height you were you yeah could, you could make it to the NBA so I like I would love to interview uh, Earl Boykins as well. Uh, next we got Ryan O'Donnell he who said Nick Saber and Lou Holtz asked them what type of impact that the th- that they think the Max still brings to college athletics. I mean we all know Nick Saban. Toledo player, Toledo coach, moved on to bigger and better things, obviously, at Alabama. I'd love to talk to Lou Holtz, especially about Notre Dame. But, yeah, what they think the MAC still brings to college athletics, I think that's definitely a worthwhile question. 100%. 100%. I think, uh, yeah, those are two of the the most legendary coaches of all time when it comes to football and the fact that they came both came from the MAC and got their start here. I'd love to hear – especially Saban. I'd love to hear Saban's perspective on the Mac. And I know, you know, he still schedules Mac teams a lot at Alabama. I know uh, Kent State was supposed to go down there this year. They went down there a few years ago, too. So I think he still has an affinity for the Mac. It'd be awesome to talk to him about that, definitely. No doubt. And we move on to Mike Insminger's fan account, who said Charlie Coles, because he is inimitable, I'm assuming that means deceased. Or is Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously that isn't possible. Yeah. So yeah, what is your reaction to that, Zach? I mean, he was uh, you know, he pretty much was Miami, Ohio's basketball uh program. Most of their success has been with him at the helm. If you think back uh to the the late nineties when they had Wally Zerbiak and went to the Sweet Sixteen, well he he was the head coach of that team. He also brought Central Michigan uh, to the the first round of the NCAA tournament back in 1986-87. So this is a guy who uh, his only head coaching jobs in his career were in the MAC. He he went. Uh, let's see here. He won 92 games at Central Michigan and another 266 at Miami. So 358 wins all time, all in the MAC. He was the two-time MAC coach of the year in 1987 and 2005. I mean, that's a legendary guy right there. Rest in peace to him. He would have been cool to talk to. I definitely agree with that. No doubt. And I think if we ever do a get around to the Miami, Ohio, Mount Rushmore, I think Charlie uh, Coles has to be definitely considered up there to be a part of that. Definitely agree with that. Yes, 100%. Um, Like I said, they're really the only success the Miami basketball program has had has been him, at least recently, has been with him at the helm. So, yeah, I I definitely think he would be deserving of being on that list. And Van Wright said, Dave Waddle, BGSU track slash Olympian champion. What were you thinking coming from that far back to do the absolute impossible and the best 800 finish ever? Yeah, Um, I got to be honest. I I hadn't heard this name. I had to look this one up, but... This is, a, this is a pretty cool story with Dave Waddle. He was, uh, as mentioned, was a, you know, a Bowling Green grad, went to the 1972 Olympics in Germany, and uh, in the 800 meter final, um, he was at the back of the field. He stayed there for the first half of the race, and then I guess apparently in the final straightaway, he kind of took the lead in the final stretch and, um, and beat the, the favorite from the Soviet Union by like three hundredths of a second. So, um, I would love to see a video of that. I'm sure there's some out there that I can look it up. I can't think of many 
you know, Olympic champions from, from the Mac. I don't know the research on that, but I can't imagine there's many of them. So that would definitely be, I also like this one because it's from a different sport. We're talking about track and field now, which is something that we don't get to talk about quite as much. I think that would be a really cool uh, conversation to have with him. Definitely. Yeah. I'd never heard of this dude before he brought him up, did some research. I think it's, it's pretty incredible. If you have it, there's some, there's some YouTube videos on the great, they call it the greatest comeback in athletics history. Uh, it's definitely a worthwhile watch. I believe the videos are only three minutes, two minutes long. So okay. you've got plenty of time to watch it. Cool. And now we move on to uh, Kevin Henry, who said, I'd interview A. Phil, who's Andy Phillips. Uh, one of the best guards to play in the, best, in the past decade. Very knowledgeable about the game and has one of the best sports podcasts out there. One question I'd make sure to ask him about is the petite Pettit game circa 2013 fall camp. Yeah, I think that would be a, a really cool one, especially, I mean, to go from athlete to, to podcast host and, um, you know, he's on, you know, Fox Sports Radio and stuff like that. I think that would be definitely um, an interesting interview. Unfortunately, um, I feel bad for him. I know it says on his Twitter, he's a lifelong Detroit sports fan. I know there's a lot of heartache that comes along with that. Not a lot of success there recently. But hey, nonetheless, had a, he had a cup of coffee with Green Bay. He was played for the Packers for a year. Uh, now got in, got into the media game. So yeah, definitely would be a cool personality to interview there. I mean, I, I like. I even uh, asked you guys what the Pettit Games 2013 fall camp was about. So I'd be curious to learn about that as well. Uh, I'd be curious to interview how he got in the podcast game. We've seen a lot of athletes get into the podcast game recently. I know like Jeff Schwartz, Pat McAfee, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just interested how, how he got interested in there. Yeah, I think that would be a cool interview. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I'm definitely with you there. I love, to, I, I love seeing all these athletes make the transition like from the field to media. I think like you mentioned Pat McAfee, I think, you know, the perspective that those guys are able to provide when, uh, you know, I, having played the game and actually been a part of it, I'd so much rather listen to them than, you know, listen to like Skip Bayless or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Stephen A. Smith, these guys that just get paid to talk. I, I'd much rather listen to a, to a former athlete do it. So I think, I don't know about you, Sam, I thought those were some great responses to that question. Um, a lot of great stuff there. Um, our second question, I know we just posted it yesterday, um, was, was more about um, what's an athletic program at your school that you feel is underrated or doesn't get the, the respect that it deserves. Um, I thought we got some cool answers from that one as well, Sam. Yeah, no doubt. I'm going to start it off. Our, our own uh, creative director, James Jimenez, said, for me, it's CMU Gymnastics, one of the best mid-majors major teams in the country with great individual talents. It's a hell of a watch, too, especially when the crowd gets involved. I don't know whether we touched on it with the Central Michigan Mount Rushmore, we may have, it's been a long time since we did that episode. My mind kind of goes blank, but yeah, I, I think, I think James is right there. Yeah, I agree. And, and he's, every time I've talked to him, I give him credit. He always brings up uh, the gymnastics program at central Michigan. And you even look this year, um, uh, central Michigan's Danielle, uh, excuse me, Danielle Pedrick was uh, the, the Mac gymnast of the year. So they definitely have, uh, as he mentioned, you know, the, one of the better mid-major uh, programs in the country and it seems like central michigan in general a lot of those olympic sports are very strong there they take a lot of pride in that 
And um, I respect them for that. I think there's, a, you know, you got a lot of athletic programs that might only focus on football and basketball, but Central Michigan clearly cares about, you know, all the sports from the top to the bottom, no matter how much revenue they generate or attention they draw. No doubt. And we move on to, once again, Gutfield Gambling, bringing it BGSU women's soccer back-to-back MAC tiles, both one and penalty kicks throwing the field was awesome. And I think what's interesting, Zach, is we've learned after interviewing the Akron guy and what Gutfield Gambling is, Matt, the MAC has a surprisingly strong uh, soccer programs. Yeah, they do. A lot of, of very strong soccer programs. And I, I saw on Twitter, uh, I can't remember who tweeted it out. I don't know if it was the Bowling Green Athletics account or the MAC Sports account, just reliving great moments. But they actually posted a video of that uh, not too long ago of, of the, the BGSU women uh, winning on penalty kicks and, and storming the field. Yeah, anytime you can win back-to-back conference titles in a conference as competitive as the MAC, that's certainly something notable. And uh, I, I think that's a, a good suggestion by, by gut feel gambling. And, and now that we're talking through this, I'm thinking maybe, you know, that's a, that might be a good off-season, you know, topic for us next year is, you know, talking, you know, going to each school and, and learn a little bit more about some of the, the lesser-known programs that are successful. No doubt. And we have actually two uh one from two two different accounts we got akron echo and our boys at zips united said the women's uh swimming and diving team at akron gonna be honest uh, as swimming and diving not not something i know a ton about but uh you know i think that would make it even better to to learn a little bit more about it obviously Ak- akron's another one a lot of the the uh, Olympic sports or lesser known sports seem to, to thrive there. We, you know, we talked about, you know, coach Embrick and the, and the men's soccer team there and uh, the, the track and field program and swimming and diving all, it seemed to be a lot of strong uh, programs there at Akron. Yeah. I think when people look at Akron, they just saw the, they just see the mm-hmm. 0 and 16 record that they got in football. But when you look at the other sports like basketball, swimming and diving, the, even the esports we talked with the esports coach, They've got some strong programs over at Akron. Yeah, they absolutely do. And um, I, it would be, I'd love to see Tom Arth bring the football program up to that level where, where it has been and where it can be. Um, because if you do that, I mean, the men's basketball program is really strong. A lot of those Olympic sports you mentioned are really strong. If they can get football back up to that level. You got a really strong athletic program top to bottom there for the Zips. No doubt. We move over to Kent Vanden over. We got, uh, he said, Miami field hockey. Yeah, that's another one. Um, I know, I actually, uh, Miami field hockey, funny enough, they, they, there's a number of, of athletes from Pittsburgh uh, around where I live here that have gone there um, to, to be a part of that field hockey program. So again, field hockey, not a sport that I'm going to pretend to know a lot about, but I do know um, a lot of very good high school field hockey players from this area have gone out to Oxford to play for the Red Hawks. And so it doesn't surprise me to see them on this list. No doubt. I think what a lot of people think of Miami, Ohio, they think of the football team, but field hockey is still up there. I'm sure they got several other programs that just get underlooked because of that football program being so good. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think you could say that for a lot of schools, uh, you know, even in the MAC. I think the football and basketball programs tend to get all the attention and overshadow some of the other ones. Um, but that doesn't mean that these these other programs aren't any less successful. And rounding out, we've got two Ball State mentions. We've got Jesse Pearson, who said Ball State men's volleyball is usually pretty good. They've only had one uh, losing season in the last decade. And uh, Simmons said baseball, too. Yeah, I actually 
Ball State's men's volleyball program is actually a program that I, I've been aware of for, for quite some time. Um, Penn State, where I went, has a very good men's volleyball program as well. And uh, Ball State came and, 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 you know, played the Nittany Lions a few times while I was there, always gave us problems. Um, I know the, the coach, uh, the Ball State men's volleyball coach, Joel Walton, uh, he's been there for 22 years. Uh, he just became, this past season, became the ninth coach in NCAA Division One men's volleyball history to get to 400 career wins. So to be there for 22 years and rack up 400 victories, um, that's, I mean, that's pretty, pretty impressive feat there. Yeah, I knew both Ball State's men's volleyball and baseball were good, but not to mention the women's volleyball team who just reached the NCAA tournament last year. They lost in the first round to, I believe, Nebraska, but still impressive. I think a lot of Ball State teams don't get the recognition they deserve. Baseball, we've had several draft picks. Men's volleyball, as they mentioned, usually pretty good, pretty dominant in the MAC as well. Yeah, definitely is. And uh, a lot of great answers there, guys. We, we really appreciate the engagement there on Twitter. Uh, gave you two questions this week, and, and you did not disappoint with uh, the answers that you provided us. So we're going to continue to do it. Um, we got, obviously, we're going to have a lot more, uh, you know, football-focused content here over the next couple weeks as we get prepared for the season. But doing the, the Twitter questions every week is, is something that we're going to continue to do that we enjoy. Uh, before we move on um, to our, uh, you know, to, to moving on to the rest of the episode and some of the interviews that we have lined up here, wanted to give a quick plug for the Hustle Spelt esports coverage. Uh, starting this past month, past month in September, we've been providing uh, coverage and covering all 12 MAC member schools inaugural season on the varsity esports scene. Our very own Ethan Nelad Dolan will provide weekly written updates on the hustlebelt.com and will also host several programs on our newly retrofitted Twitch page, including a weekly highlight reel breakdown and interview show. Follow Hustlebelt on twitch.tv slash hustlebelt to keep up on the latest in EAM action and stay tuned for more information on the former schedule. So Sam, um, before we jump into the rest of this uh, the episode here, one of the, I guess, hi, give a quick highlight of, of who we're going to be speaking with. I thought we had two really good conversations this week. And as we prepare for, uh, for football season, we're going to continue to try and have, uh, you know, uh, journalists on and reporters on that cover um, each of the programs in the MAC. Two great conversations this week that we had. One was with uh, Nick Petrovich, who is the uh, Bowling Green beat reporter for the Toledo Blade there in Northwest Ohio. He covers all things Toledo sports, or I'm sorry, all things Bowling Green sports, and also the MAC in general. Had a, did a lot of great reporting on on the MAC's initial postponement of fall sports, and then uh, you know reopening football season. And then following that, uh, we're joined by Austin Chastain, who is the uh, sports editor for Central Michigan Life. Uh, up there in Mount Pleasant, covering all things Chippewas. I thought we had two great conversations with uh, with those guys this week, Sam. No doubt. I, I learned a little bit more Bowling Green uh, and how they're a little bit more prepared for this season, looking a little bit better. Uh, uh, Nick definitely mentioned some, some things you Bowling Green fans will want to stay tuned for. Austin Chastain brought it with the Central Michigan content. Uh, learned a little bit about their Amy Fullen and her new position, what McElwain's been able to do and his like success during his short time there. Yeah, it was all good stuff. So um, stick around for that. They're coming up, uh, coming up next year. 
All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, for our next segment here, uh, we are joined, we have a special guest here. We're joined by Nick Petrovich, a, uh, the, uh, the Bowling Green beat reporter for the Toledo Blade, uh, also covers uh, you know, Mac News in general. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at Nick P. Blade. And honestly, if you're listening to this show and if you're a fan of the Mac and you're not following him, you certainly should be. Uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today, man. How you doing? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, we'll, we'll just go ahead and jump right into this here. Um, obviously, the last couple months have been crazy. Uh, as someone that's been covering the MAC, you know, you you helped break the story back in uh, in August that you know they're going to be postponing, and obviously they're coming back now. So from from someone from your perspective, someone that's been really close to this story, um, what what were some of the factors that that led the MAC to to reconsider? Obviously, they've talked a lot about the the. Um, the more widely available testing and, and some of that stuff. I think obviously the Big Ten and, and the Mountain West reconsidering probably played a part as well. But just from your perspective, someone that's been really close to the story, can you talk a little bit about kind of the, the change in, uh, you know, the, the, what the, the factors that led to, the, to, to reconsidering? Yeah, there's a few of them. The first, I would say, is the availability of testing. When everybody started coming back to campuses in the spring, um, I know from Bowling Green's perspective anyway, they were having a, they had such a wide range of when they were getting results back. They'd send out for tests sometimes and then have them back in a couple days, which is fine. And then in other cases, they wouldn't have them back for more than a week. And you just can't play football games if, if that's the reality with testing. Um, the other was there's so many unknowns, this being a, a novel virus. I think everyone, you know, heard like this can go after an athlete, even a young athlete, this can go after their heart. And, you know, nobody knows what's going on here. And this is all crazy. I think everybody got really nervous about that. Um, there were just no protocols in place. There's any playbook for doing this. And then the third thing, I think there is some element of peer pressure on this. Everybody was going to play football and for the kids in the Mac, it's like, like in Buffalo's perspective, they can drive down the road to Syracuse. Syracuse is already playing their season and they're saying, you know, we're not playing at all. We're going to try and wait until February or March or whenever this is going to be. Um, you know, here in Ohio, we have, only Cincinnati was playing, but then the Big Ten was going to come back. And then you have the other the six Ohio Max schools saying, well, why can't we play too? I think all of those things kind of, as things went along further and further and further, it just became more realistic. And I think probably the last thing is that there, the reality of it set in. If you're going to play sports in this school year, you're going to test. It's as simple as that. If you want to play, you have to test. And that's not going to be any different in the spring than in the fall. Okay. And, and me and Zach are curious, has there been any indication of first when a fall schedule will be released? And secondly, I haven't heard anything about winter sports. Has there been any indication of the conference talking about that as well? Um, I would expect the MAC schedule, football schedule, to come out this week. The distinction on winter sports is they're going to roll with what the NCAA said, so that's November 25th. The problem with basketball is that scheduling is an absolute zoo right now. So Bowling Green had uh, two big non-conference games. They were going to go down to Georgia, and then they were going to play West Virginia. They're supposed to be pretty good this year. You always like to play those couple of games where you take a shot at somebody, see where you're really at early in the season. Both of those games, though, were for scheduled for before November 25th. So as of now, they're just off. And all of those dates pretty much just went completely up in the air. You're going to have some leagues that are going to play only conference games. 
I would imagine there's going to be a few different tournaments that they're going to try and preserve by essentially creating a bubble or close to it. So what happens in the non-conference? I have no idea. Um, the MAC does have a soft basketball schedule that they, they want to play with, go through with the 20 games, but what happens between November 25th and January 2nd or whatever I think it is when they start basketball is, is still up in the air. I, I do not envy uh, the position of these athletic directors and, and athletic administrators right now, have, having to figure all this stuff out and, and, and get a get a schedule uh, reassembled if they end up playing non-conference at all. Um, Nick, I wanted to go back to something you said in, in, in your first answer. And, and one thing that I haven't seen reported anywhere and, and something that I'm not clear on is I'm just curious about um, obviously the, um, the MAC came out and said they're going to mandate, you know, four times a week uh, testing, antigen testing for, for all schools. Obviously, there's a financial burden that comes along with that. So is that financial burden, is, is this testing, is this all on the schools? Is the conference going to help them with that at all? Or is there any other outside money that's going to come in and help with some of that financial burden of the testing? Or is it just 100% on the schools to figure it out? It's going to be on the schools. The MAC has contracted has basically contracted a testing protocol that everyone can either decide they want to be part of or they can, if they have something that they like on campus, they can roll with that. I know uh, Miami's athletic director said that they had acquired a machine that could do rapid POC testing. So I'd assume Miami would just stick with that. Um, financially, it's probably gonna cost, I would assume everyone at least probably a quarter of a million dollars. But then when you look in the full picture of it, uh, you look at like the conference distributions that you get from media rights, et cetera. It's, those are still way more than a quarter of a million dollars. And if you're not giving any games to ESPN, then you're not getting any money from ESPN. And it's granted, it's not a ton of money, especially relative to the, you know, the big 10 getting the Brinks truck backed up once a year for all 14 <laughs> yeah. teams. But it's, I mean, it's about a million bucks for everybody in the league and just playing those games is, is, I mean, super valuable to these athletic departments, even in normal times. Yeah, very true. And, and I want to move into some uh, Bowling Green stuff if we can. And just starting off the fact we saw what Bowling Green last year, what's, what's the feeling like around the Bowling, Bowling Green program heading to, into two year under Scott Leffler? I actually just watched practice today. And what I'm writing about is there just, there felt like an air of, of competence today that there wasn't at this time last year. I mean, he pretty, he told me last year after, after they practiced for the first couple of times in the spring, that poor guy looked like a ghost. He, I mean, he just, he knew it was going to be bad and it was bad. Um, they did pick up the game against Toledo, which was, I think pretty huge for everyone on the roster to see if something like that was possible. But uh, I don't know that they're going to be a contender right away but they're certainly better than they were. They're a little deeper than they were. They still have some number issues. They're going to be really young, but there are a lot of questions that you had at this time last year that you don't have this year. You have a quarterback, you have some guys that are um, legitimate targets. They have a long way to go on both lines. Um, who knows? The defense has been a problem for several years, but I, I think they're at least going to be significantly improved throwing the ball, which is a start. 
Yeah, and, and you led me right into my next question there, Nick, was obviously uh, Matt McDonald comes in after transferring last year from from Boston College, and, and he takes over a quarterback. I think there's a sense of, you know, around, you know, people that cover the Mac and follow the Mac, there's a sense that that could really provide this offense a punch that they haven't had in a few years. This is a team, you know, when I think, I think when a lot of Mac fans think about Bowling Green football, they're thinking about Dino Babers and those teams that were really throwing the ball around the yard. And then you look at last year, they only averaged 157 uh, yards a game through the air. So um, do you, in, in your kind of opinion, watching Matt McDonald and seeing being around the program, do you think Matt McDonald will help this offense take the next step? And is this offense going to look a lot different than it did last year? Yeah, they've certainly expanded what they can do. I mean, there's so much stuff that they just couldn't do last year. This is a really complex offense, and Leffler's been criticized of that at previous stops, that it was overly complex. And it, when, now that it's his show, he gets to do – it was going to take multiple years, and he's been pretty upfront and blunt about that from the beginning. And Grant Loy, who's a terrific athlete, ended up going to Auburn. He and this offense probably weren't the best fit for one another, though he did some – I mean, obviously the Toledo game was a, was a thing that I think all the Bowling Green fans will always remember – McDonald was recruited to play in this offense, has spent his entire career in this offense, and is now at the point where he's actually running the offense. So what, just in terms of what they're doing, they, they had much, much, much more on their plate. Um, they, they were just trying to do anything that they could last year. They were so thin. Um, they were at one point, they had all of their scholarship running backs were not available. Um, Andrew Clare was hurt. Uh, they had um, Davon Jones get hurt. Uh, Bryson Denley was running, was essentially like a slot receiver, like Percy Harvin type that they were trying to run 20 plus carries a game. And at one point they were, you know, rolling with walk-ons. It was pretty rough. And, and so you mentioned the offense. I, I want to switch over to the other side of the ball. We obviously saw Bowling, Bowling Green kind of struggle a little bit on the defensive side of the ball, giving over 38 points per game. How's it, how's it looking on the defensive side of the ball? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? They, uh, I think they've given up 38 points a game the past four years combined. Wow. I, I had a stat about this. Um, I wrote about them in December, just kind of the state of the pro, like what happened to this football program. And before 2016, I think the school record for points in a 12-game season was like 410, and they've now given up 450 or more four years in a row. Wow. So it's hard to win games when you can't stop people. That's my official math opinion. Uh, and the bigger problem for them is they haven't been able to run on it, but they haven't been able to stop anybody's running game. Like Ohio last year just absolutely ran it down their throat. And it's been any team that has that identity as a really physical offensive line has just mashed them over and over and over. A couple of years ago, they went to Georgia Tech, which went exactly how you imagine it would have gone. Yeah. And they just have to get to a point where they have a front seven that can start to slow people down. I think they have some kids in the secondary that are going to be really good, particularly Jordan Anderson. Their safety is going to be a sophomore. I think he's a potential all Mac type kid. Um, defensively, they don't need them to be like the 85 bears here, but they need them to be okay. And I think part of it that's going to help them is they'll finally have something complimentary where a lot of times the problem was that the offense was asking them to do everything and they were struggling to do anything. This year, I think with an offense, it'll be a little better. It makes everything feel a little nicer. 
this next question, I guess, is more of a, of a general question, right? Because when I think about Mac football, when I think about the best programs in the Mac, I think historically you ask a lot of people that question and Bowling Green is one of the programs that they're going to pick. I mean, this is a proud program. And even you go back, you know, five years uh, to the Dino Babers area, this team won two Mac championships in a three-year period. What's the general sense of, of the fan base right now, where, as far as where the program is at? And is there a sense that Scott Leffler is the guy that can turn this around? I think there's some there's certainly some encouraging things happening on the recruiting uh, trail. I know uh, last year's class, I think, was ranked in second in the MAC by 24-7. So um, what's the sense of the fan base right now, obviously having fallen off from, from that previous high of the early 2010s? And, you know, is, is, does Scott Leffler have some momentum to, to get this program back to the, to the top of the conference? Yeah, I think the fans are, they're frustrated, but for the most part, I think understanding. I th- Listen, I mean, if you watch this football team through like the absolute grind that they've been on the past few years where – and most of their games haven't even been close. I think everybody, most of the fans anyway, were pretty understanding that this was going to take just a full teardown by somebody. And so far it's been, it was pretty challenging for most of last year, but I think he's gotten the benefit of the doubt with that Toledo game. Um, I think everybody, they knew they weren't going to be particularly good last year, but the fact that you pull an upset, everybody was, almost all the Bowling Green fans that I regularly interact with after that happened said, all right, I'm good with this year. Yeah. Like they got that one game this year. You're going to want a little bit more. Of course, this is going to be, this is such a crazy time just to be in existence, let alone talking about college football, but uh, they've, they've been targeting a four and five re- year rebuild since, you know, they went selling this job in November of 2018. They know it's going to take multiple years. Um, but I, and I think for the most part, uh, he, he got pretty high marks for the first year. And real, real quick, Nick, as a follow-up, sorry, Sam, but before, before you jump in, I just, as a follow-up to that question, I, I'm curious from, from your perspective, what is it really that, that happened? Because when I think about, you know, the, the kind of the, the progression of Bowling Green football, since I've been following the Mac, I mean, you go from Urban Meyer to Greg Brandon, to Dave Clawson, to Dino Babers. I mean, that's a run of four straight coaches in a row who really had this program performing at a high level. What happened under Mike Jinks from 2016 to 2018 that set the program back so badly? It wasn't just Jinx. Jinx got the, the brunt of the blame, but it wasn't entirely on him because he, he, got a, he was the wrong guy at the wrong time. Babers doesn't get a ton of blame for this. But the reality is he didn't really recruit for the program to last. He recruited two kids that ever started a game at Bowling Green on the offensive line in two recruiting classes. Almost 50% of his kids washed out in between those two recruiting classes because they had a team that was built by Dave Clawson that had its quarterback that was ready to win. He came in, he got uh, Roger Lewis. They were excellent in that 2015 season. They were you know, one of the best group of five teams, he bails for Syracuse. And then at that point, what they needed was a builder and their former athletic director, Chris Kingston, for some reason became completely enamored with Jinx, who was the uh, associate head coach at Texas tech, who had never been to the state of Ohio and they gave him the job. And, you know, that went how it went. And it, it became pretty clear that this was the wrong fit. So, so you mentioned, uh, Nick, the recruiting aspect and how the previous coaches failed to recruit. 
How has Scott Leffler, like, how has he managed to attract the second recruiting class in 2020, the eighth recruiting class in 2021, considering they're rebuilding there? You said four to five years potentially before they're a contender. Like, how has Scott Leffler managed to do this? Well, he's been recruiting, I mean, the Midwest for 20 years at this point. So he already, I mean, when he got plugged into this job, the, the difference between Mike Jinks and his staff is that they came in, they were all Texas guys. It took them, it took them a year just to get to know a lot of the high school coaches. Leffler got plugged in and he already knows a ton of them. That matters. And another thing you can sell is that when your team isn't very good, you can sell playing time. If you're a whatever, a, typically most of the Mac kids are three or two star kids. If you're a kid that uh, looks like he's going to go to a Mac school, Bowling Green can sell you the option of, hey, if you're ready, you're going to play this year. You're going to play. You're not going to wait. You're not going to redshirt. If you get into a competition and you prove that you're the best guy that you that we have, then you can come here and play. And I know a few of the kids, particularly in the last class, um, came here with the option, like knowing that you can essentially get right into a position battle. You can play right away. So it's nobody likes to lose, but uh, when you're trying to rebuild it at this point, um, that's a super valuable chip to sell the kids. Yeah, certainly. And last question here, Nick, before we let you get out of here and, and thank you again for joining us, but we're, we're talking a lot about recruiting here and how, how Scott Leffler's having to kind of build this program again from, from the bottom up. Any, any, from your perspective, any impact freshmen that you feel we might be able to see make an impact on the field this year that can make a difference for the Falcons? I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Brian Kilbane, who's one of their offensive linemen crack, uh, crack into the rotation but the guy that I think you should really watch for is Javante Kinsey he's a wide receiver from Florida they need people to come into that room and help and he's a big kid they have a couple of guys holdovers that are going to play Quentin Morris is a really good tight end what they need are home run hitters that's the thing they're really going after and um, I know the coaches have been pretty excited for for the possibility of what Kinsey can do Grant I mean he's with any freshman, I always get the asterisk that you never know what can happen when someone just comes in. Um, that could be anything from the doghouse to he looks like a star. But from what I've seen of practice just this year, I would expect that kid to play. And actually, I've got one more question before we let you go. We've talked a lot about football here and considering that November is right around the corner. And as you mentioned, we talked about the uh, winter sports. So what is your overall feel around the basketball program? Because we saw them do excellent things this past year. What are, what are your what are your thoughts heading into this season as well? It's going to be almost the same deal as last year, where it's it's title or bust for them. It's crazy to think that they haven't been in the NCAA tournament in 50 years, and which is weird because it's not like you have a basketball like Northwestern basketball has just been it hasn't been a secret. They've just been bad. That's why they yeah. didn't go to the North the NCAA tournament forever. They were just bad. Bowling Green has been, you know, pretty at least competent for a lot of this time. And if for whatever reason, just has not been able to put it back, put it together in the MAC tournament, which I guess is life in a one bid league. But I mean, Turner coming back, Daquan Plowden coming back. Um, I'd expect a couple of the freshmen to help. They're going to be deep again, and they might have the best player in the league. So it's, it's, they're going to be a player, I think, probably from beginning to end. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that were excited whenever Justin Turner announced that he was uh, going to be coming back to Bowling Green this year for the basketball season. 
Well, um, Nick, we, we can't thank you enough for, for taking a couple minutes and joining us today. Everyone out there, uh, he is Nick Petrovich. He is the uh, BG uh, beat reporter for the Toledo Blade, also covers the Mac in general. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick P. Blade. Nick, thank you again so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate you taking some time. Thanks, guys. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, for our next segment here, we are joined by, uh, I should say, first of all, let me say we're, we're continuing kind of our string of uh, preseason uh, football preview interviews here. And joining us next, we have Austin Chastain, who is the sports editor for CM Life Sports uh, and covers all things Central Michigan athletics. You can find him on Twitter uh, at, at uh, Chastain AJ. Uh, Austin, thank you so much for joining us today, man. How you doing? Hey, I'm I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on the, on the show. I'm re really excited about this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome, and we're and we're excited to have you as well. So we we appreciate you taking some time. Uh, so let's just jump right into this here and, and and kick it off. You know, obviously Greg McElwain comes in last year for Central Michigan, and he turned things around in a hurry. I don't think anyone expected. Uh, Central Michigan to be in the MAC championship game last year, but Chippewas go one and eleven in 2018. Greg McElwin comes in and, and really changes everything. What's kind of the sense around the program and the sense within the fan base right now moving forward? And um, you know, what was the biggest difference that that uh, Coach McElwain and his staff brought to the program last season that you saw? Well, I'll start with the the biggest difference, and that I think was a lot of discipline. Um, in 2018, you, you saw a lot of a lot of careless penalties, a lot of careless mistakes as in turnovers. Um, and yeah, you saw a couple of turnovers last year. I think, I think CMU ended up having like five or six against Buffalo in a, in a double digit loss and had some turnovers in the Mac championship game and then the New Mexico bowl. But um, in the games and in, in a lot of the games, CMU just, there were hardly any turnovers, um, you know, it was kind of funny to see when, when, when CMU didn't commit many turnovers, they ended up winning when they would commit a lot of penalties and commit a lot of turnovers. They ended up losing the, the one game that comes to mind when I'm talking about penalties is the Western Michigan game, where I think they got drawn offside, I think six, five or six times. And um, they ended up losing that game, but it was funny because at the end, it was almost competitive. Um, Cause they turned it around in the second half and didn't have hardly, hardly had any, miscues it just bit him in the butt in the first half but um but yeah i think i think the sense here here in mount pleasant is kind of they're expecting actually i think they're expecting a lot you know jim McElwain in his second season reigning co mac coach of the year i think there there's there are some lofty expectations here and i say lofty but high expectations is what i mean um and rightfully so i mean a lot of weapons returning from last year um I mean, it's pretty much the same team. A couple, you know, a couple of guys that moved on to go play in the NFL or just graduated. But for the most part, the core, the main core of the offense is, is still there. And defensively, they look pretty stout. Okay. Solid answer. Uh, so we, we saw this past offseason Central Michigan hiring new AD and Amy Fullen. In her short time as AD, what has that been like? Does she seem like a good fit? What is the overall reaction from the CMU faithful? Yeah, she actually uh, took over what, so we're recording this on Tuesday. She took over on Monday. Um, but the kind of the, the feel is that she's unknown. And they, a lot of the fans really like that she's unknown um, because 
what they do know about her is that she's she's a fantastic fundraiser. Uh, she was the executive director of the Longhorn Foundation, University of Texas Athletics fundraising arm, if you will. And she did a really, really solid job with that. And then she's going to come in here and um, kind of continue, I think, kind of that trajectory of, of excellent fundraising. Michael Alford, who left to go become the CEO of the Seminole Boosters, um, actually the fundraising arm at Florida State. Um, I, I think he, he did a lot of great things in terms of fundraising here at CMU. And I think Fullen's going to come in and, and continue that kind of, that same, like I said, trajectory of fundraising. Um, and, you know, she seems like she's just going to kind of put the nose to the grindstone and come in and get the, get the job done. You know, they always talk about, you know, putting a degree in one hand championship rings on the other. I mean, you know, you can say that all you want. Um, of course it comes down to the players on the field, but you know, I think she's going to, put a lot of things into motion, do a lot of, a lot of great things to uh, put those items where they need to be. <laughs> yeah. I think when, when Sam and I, and, and the, you know, when we talked about that uh, hire previously, I think that's one of the things we talked about is that her, uh, her expertise with fundraising, I think is certainly going to be put to use here with everything else going on in, in the current environment. Let, let's talk a little bit uh, specifically on the field here for, for the, the football team coming up. Uh, here in the 2020 season. I think one thing that a lot of people are curious about is is what's going to happen with the quarterback position for the Chippewas this year. Obviously, Quentin Dormady has graduated. He's moved on. David Moore is still on the roster. He started a, a couple games last year. Is there a sense that Moore is going to be the guy moving forward, or is there someone else on the roster that you see you know, taking some reps away from him? What's the situation like at quarterback right now for the Chips? So the, the biggest question with that um, – and I actually asked McElwain about this on Monday and there seemed to be some kind of question in terms of um, whether Moore will be reinstated following his year long suspension. And that's supposed to expire, I think on the seventh or the eighth. So Wednesday or Thursday, I, you know, it's one of those, you, I kind of forget off the top of my head. It's one of those two days, but um, if, if Moore gets reinstated, there's no problems. I mean, it, it seems like it should be pretty cut and dry, but he, McElwain said he didn't know it's in the NCAA's hands. Um, but again, like I say, it should be pretty cut and dry that he should be able to good, should be able to be good to go right away. Um, and if he does, I mean, he's, he's your day one starter without a doubt. I mean, he came in for, in what, in six games, including a Wisconsin game, which he, I don't think he threw a pass. If he did, it was, he didn't go anywhere. <laughs> He threw for over 1,100 yards last year and five touchdowns in, in four starts. Um, I mean, if that's not some excellent production, I don't really know what is. Um, the The game against Akron, the first, the first conference win in over a year, that's the one that sticks out in my mind because that was kind of when we first saw his stardom with the connection with him and Cleo Pimpleton um, – and the other wide receivers, Ja'Cory Sullivan, Ty Scott, um, it really was those three key guys in the receiving core. Um, but we were able to see more make some great throws. I don't, I mean, I don't think anybody would take that job away from him. I mean, it's, it's his, if, you know, when he, if he's able to come back and you know, get, get to working right away. I mean, the entire time he was suspended last year, he, he was working with the scout team. And I mean, you could just tell that he was, the start you could tell that he was a starting quarterback when he even when he was on the scouts team um 
but that, I mean, that said, I mean, uh, Daniel Richardson, who showed up in a couple of games last year, he redshirted, so only played in four games. Um, he, I think he threw one pass and it was complete. I think it was for one yard, if I'm not mistaken. It was like a weird little shovel pass against Toledo, I think. Um, but that, so Richardson, you know, I, he's, he has experience in McElwain's system. Um, he might be the guy who's a little undersized. Um, Ty Brock coming over. He's a graduate transfer from Sam Houston State. He he could be a, another guy. I think Brock would end up beating out Richardson, I think, for the backup job. If Moore is able to go, and then I think it would be Brock if, if Moore is not able to go. Um, like I said, we should know more about Moore. <laughs> Funny pun there. Um, <laughs> here later this week, and we can, uh, you know, we'll, obviously keep updating on that as uh, as we close in on the season. Okay, sweet. And then, so we talked about the quarterback situation. Now I want to move to the weapons and that's the tight end position. Obviously we saw Tony Poulton transfer to Virginia. So what about tight end? How's that position room looking like? And obviously we know the emergence of Cleo Pimpleton, but is there any other weapons we could see kind of step up? So funny, we're, we're talking about the tight ends, um, a guy that l- looked like he was going to kind of split some time with Poljan last year. Joel Wilson uh, suffered a pretty significant injury in the opener against Albany last year, missed the entire season, was set to come back. That was his, his starting job. He was going to take over for Poljan. Um, and McElwain said he, Wilson suffered a, a hamstring injury um, earlier this week, or I guess last week in practice. And on unsure of the timetable, you know, if he's, you know, done out for the season, if he's going to be able to come back, um, we're not hundred percent sure on that time frame. Uh, but if, if Wilson is able to come back and, and play, you know, he, he'll, he'll be the guy, um, former quarterback, Austin Hergett would, I guess, would step into that tight end role. Um, he was kind of that, that's, that was kind of his, his role. I think he was like the third or fourth, well, technically third string tight end last year. Um, and Bernard Raymond, who ultimately split time at tight end with Tony Poljan, is actually shifting over to offensive tackle. So he, they might they might transition him back to to be a tight end um, and kind of throw him throw him in for some uh, some you know goal line packages or something like that, where they or maybe they need an extra tackle um, to kind of like offset the offensive line or something like that. Um, he might be the guy for that, but um, yeah, that that the tight ends are. A little bit, I would say, in flux at the moment. Um, in terms of, of weapons, like you mentioned, Pimpleton, he's 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 their feature wide receiver, I guess you could say. Uh, and then, like I said before, Jacory Sullivan, Tyrone Scott are coming back. Those are two guys that are going to be. Um, man, I mean, Sullivan was was a little bit shaky in the first half of the season, then came out and had a, an incredible second half of the season. I mean, he almost, he almost caught Pimpleton to uh, the lead, the lead in, in catches and uh, in yards last year throughout the conference. Um, Ty Scott, a little bit unproven. He had a couple of touchdowns in the, in the opener against Albany kind of fell off a little bit and then came back strong in the last couple of games of the year. Um, so th- those three, at wide receiver, those those guys are going to be big, and then uh, I I don't know I don't know if you got you're going to ask about running backs, but uh, Kobe Lewis, a 1,000 yard rusher from last year, he's coming back. Um, it, 
him, him and Jonathan Ward uh, were actually the first running back duo in school history to both rush for a thousand yards. Um, so that, and, and Ward missed a couple of games too. Lewis was kind of that fill in back for a couple of, couple of games for, for, for Jonathan Ward. Um, <laughs> so Kobe Lewis is obviously the feature back. He's, he's going to, I think have another big season up behind that offensive line that is just historically good at CMU. Um, and then another guy, the backup running back, Lou Nichols, he redshirted last year. I don't think he played in any games. Let me double check that. Um, oh, no, he played in four games. It only had a couple of yards, um, you know, less, less than a hundred yards in the four games. Um, but they they were pretty high on him uh, last, last fall going into, into the camp. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think those two guys in the in the backfield, and I think they're going to do some big things. And it, this could be an exciting CMU offense to watch this year. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's so many weapons back on offense that I think everyone has that sense that this is a team that could definitely put up some points this year. What about on the other side of the ball? Because as I when I look at this team, when I look at Central Michigan, I see a team that has an offense that can compete with anybody in the conference on the defense. I think there's a little bit more of, you know, there's some more question marks there. I think you look at the numbers from last year, this is a team that was really good at, at stopping the run, but there were some teams that had success, some success throwing the ball on the Chippewas last year. So this year, when you look at the defense, Austin, what, what do you see? Uh, what, you know, what's the outlook for the defense, any position groups that you feel are going to be strong that the, the team's going to be able to lean on this year? Well, I, I think you got to look at the linebackers, uh, Troy Brown. Uh, he, he's, he's going to be the guy for, for CMU this year. He, uh, moved, actually moved down from safety in 2019, played linebacker and, and just had wild amount of success. Um, he, he really took to that position and, um, he, I mean, he, he ended up making 72 on unassisted tackles, 85 total, um, made 16 tackles for loss. He, and more than that, he, he, he established himself as a leader among the running or among the linebackers, excuse me. And by doing that, he, cause I mean, Michael Oliver was, was the leader last year. He was, he was the middle linebacker. He was the quarterback of that defense, you know, that kind of, kind of common cliche coach speak, whatever. Um, but that's going to be Troy Brown. Troy Brown lo- learned a lot from Oliver, I think, and is going to, use the lessons learned from last year from Oliver and just that experience that he had last year to come back and, and, and lead this defense. Um, you know, he's a lot of people are high on him and I'm, I'm pretty high on him too. I, I think he's going to do um, some pretty, pretty, pretty good things um, this year. Um, I mean, of course you can look at the defensive line too. I mean, Robbie Stewart coming back, um, you know, he, made a couple of impact plays throughout the season. He's another guy that you can, you can lean on uh, defensively. Um, I I think I might beat you to the punch here, but the, the one position defensively that I'm, I'm really worried about is the second, or I guess the position group is the secondary Uh, lost, lost a couple of guys. They do have a couple of guys coming back, but last year the secondary was pretty young and you could see it pretty early. Um, I mean, like you said, I mean, a lot of teams had a, some success throwing the ball last year. Um, but I think, you know, uh, 
uh, CMU lost uh, the one of one of the better freshman defensive backs last year in Kyron McKinney Harper. Um, the the void that he left is is pretty significant. I mean, as a freshman, he came in and and ma- again he made some impact plays as well and was kind of the leader of that secondary. Uh, but you know. Richard Bones, the third is coming back or coming in. Uh, Brian Edwards, who transferred in from Florida last year, um, he's coming in and will kind of, again, look to lead the secondary. And I think those two guys specifically are going to come in and do a really good job. Alonzo McCoy at safety. Um, he he's, an, he's another guy that can make, make a lot of plays for that defense. And, and he showed that he could last year. So um, I, I think I actually may have talked myself out of it, that, that the worry about, about the secondary, <laughs> it, it might still be there. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. So sure. Um, jury's still out there. Okay. And I want to, I want to take it back to McElwain for a second here. So we've seen CMU, this is according to 24 seven sports have the six recurring classes in 2019, eighth and 2020 and fourth and 2021, considering last year was his first year as at the helm of Central Michigan. How has Jim McElwain been able to do such a solid job in recruiting? How has he been able to take that recruiting from Florida and been able to transfer it to that kind of Midwest Central Michigan recruiting? Well, I think part of it, I mean, honestly, is is his name. I mean, he worked under Nick Saban for a pretty long time, kind of an offensive guru. Um, He obviously worked at Florida for the three seasons. and uh, yeah, I think I think that's pretty much just that's pretty much it. Is is he's able to use that experience and and kind of use I don't want to say use his name or use his his, his clout, if you will, but um, he he definitely uh, is 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 kind of a it's kind of attractive to the uh, offensive guys, the offensive recruits. Um, def- I mean, obviously defensively too, you can say, hey, look what we do defensively. This you know, the defensive line, this linebacking core is just fantastic. The the secondary of course is, is, is good as well, but um, yeah, I think you can just rely on that, all that experience that he has as a head coach and, and some of those popular stops that say, Hey, I want you to come play for me at, at central Michigan. Okay, done. Uh, you know, go play for a big name coach and kind of get your name out there to uh, some of the NFL guys. Yeah. And so kind of continuing along that line of questioning with McElwain is, is there, I guess, generally speaking, what, what is the, the feeling within the fan base in terms of the expectations moving forward with McElwain? And then also, is there a sense that this is sustainable with, with McElwain, right? I think obviously Sam just mentioned that recruiting has really picked up since he's become the head coach at central Michigan, obviously the nature of being a, a program in the mid American conference is that if you have success, bigger programs are going to come in and try and poach your, you know, take your coaches away. So is there a sense that, that, um, you know, Mick, what McElwain's going to stick around and that the success is sustainable and generally speaking, you know, what, what's the, the fan base is feeling with him? Um, I think the, the fan base feeling is, is exactly that, that there, there is going to be some big name program that's going to come in and, and steal McElwain away. Um, you know, you, kind of have seen it with the last couple of coaches um you know with with Dan Enos he was able to kind of jump around and find well I guess a home last year at 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 Miami of Florida um you know John Bonamigo obviously he 
you know, struggled in 2018, um, but he found himself, you know, back with the Lions. Um, but what, what, honestly, what I see happening is I see, you know, maybe an SEC team coming in and saying, hey, we want you to come revive our program just like you did at Central Michigan. Um, and I, I think he ultimately takes it. I think part of the goal is for him is, is to want to get back into the SEC. Um, so, I mean, he had a lot of success when he was at Florida in the first two years. Uh, that 2017 season, you know, it's, I guess, one to forget. But, um, you know, the 2015 season, I mean, both both in 15 and 16, he, he led Florida to the SEC title game, ran into a buzzsaw of Alabama, but, you know, yeah. teach your own, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he ultimately um, makes makes his way – back to this uh, SEC and, and finds, uh, finds a new home somewhere out, out there. And I'm just, I'm just wondering heading into the season, considering how crazy things are and whatnot, what is, what is the goal really for uh, uh, McElwain heading into the season? Cause I know he mentioned there in the article today on CMU athletics that they're ahead of what I anticipated. So is the goal to get back? Obviously the goal is to obviously go undefeated and, reach a max championship if you can but is it just like bowl game or bust like what what's the sense heading into this season kind of essentially that's a that's a really good question because uh, i mean every you know obviously you guys know this that everybody in the fbs is i guess bowl eligible this year so i mean yeah bowl game or bust um you know i feel like you would have to win probably four or five games and if you win five games you probably have to win four of them pretty handedly to to get yourself a, a bowl bid um, if they even have bowl games this year, I mean, who, who, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately, uh, of course, a bowl game is exactly what the fans want. That's what I think McElwain wants. Um, that's what the players want. I mean, that's what everybody wants. Right. Um, but I, realistically speaking, I think if, if CMU goes five and one reaches the Mac championship game and, you know, if somehow they're able to pull out a win, uh, or you know, fall in a close game like they did last year, I, I think they could. I think fans could see that as a successful season. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody wants to go win a conference title. Who who wouldn't want that, right? But um, yeah, I, I think you know, a, another MAC title game berth, and of course, a bowl game berth. Um, that's kind of the expectation, and that's kind of the um, yeah. That's just yeah. That's it. That's the expectation. I think going into the season. Good stuff. Uh, one one final question just regarding football, N- not necessarily so much on the field, but we got a question here from um, our creative director here at Hustle Belt and fellow uh, CMU alum James Jimenez wanted us to ask you, uh, for you, what is your favorite press box meal that they serve at Kelly Shore Stadium? If you had to go with the, you know, if you had to pick a go-to. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. Um, Man, I think the uh, so they, they had a couple of different options for the for the noon game last year. They had like an egg bake, and that was not very good. So we can okay. rule that one out right away. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They they typically serve a, like a pulled pork sandwich from uh, from one of the caterers here in town called Max and Emily's. Okay. Um, and that I think I I can usually put down four or five of those sandwiches. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's it. 
you see me in the press box. I've got at, when I at least when I get there, get all my stuff situated. First thing I do is I go run and grab grab a couple of those sandwiches, and I grab at least two of them, sometimes even three, and they're they're gone by kickoff. And then yeah. at halftime, I, I go grab one more, grab a couple of cookies, some pop, and that's that's it, man. That solid. <laughs> yeah, my my belly usually hurts when uh, when I go home, but hey, that's a good hurt. I was going to say it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and last question, unless Zach has any final remaining questions, since winter sports are right around the corner, I know we've talked a lot about football and fall sports kind of, how is the feeling around winter sports and basketball, especially we saw the NCAA recently release the start date for practice. So how's the feeling around CMU basketball, men's, women's, and just winter sports in general? It, it's kind of weird because that's one of those things that nobody really, you know, not many people are talking about that right now. They're all really focused on football, all really excited about football. Um, but, you know, if, if you're talking about, um, you know, the, the teams themselves, I think there's a lot of excitement about around the women's team. Cause I mean, they're pretty successful historically, I guess within what the last 15 years now. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of excitement around the women's team. I, and I think, you know, ultimately, I think um, they're going to end up playing. There's going to be a lot fewer fans than, you know, the, I guess, 5,300 that can pack into McGurk Arena, of course. Um, if there are fans at all, I mean, I, I have no idea. I thought, I think I saw some something somewhere on 24-7 Sports um, that um, on some of the message boards that uh, people go on that um, there was a message that went out um, that, said, yeah, we're going to have uh, fewer fans or restricted fans uh, in McGurk Arena this season. So if they have fans, obvious, I mean, obviously, like many other arenas across the country are going to be restricted at home games. Um, but, I, you know, I think there's definitely some excitement for all, all the winter sports here at CMU. I mean, it's not necessarily something people are talking about right now because obviously they're just pretty pretty excited about football. Um, but, yeah, I think th- I think – it's fair to say that there's there's some excitement around some of the other falls or winter sports excuse me so well it's kind of have to roll with the punches and 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 see what happens day to day yeah awesome it's going to be an interesting couple of months with with football and all the winter sports going simultaneously here so i know uh we'll be busy here at hustle bell we know you'll you'll be busy with it as well so uh austin we really appreciate you taking a couple minutes to sit down and talk with us this afternoon sam and i both and everyone at the hustle belt we we love what you guys do over at CM Life Sports, and, and we appreciate the coverage you guys give, and, and we appreciate you taking a couple minutes to talk to us today. So, everyone, he is uh, Austin Chastain, the, the sports edis- editor at uh, Central Michigan Life. You can find him on Twitter, at Chastain AJ. Uh, Austin, thank you so much for joining us today, man. We really appreciate talking to you. Hey, thank you guys for having me on, and, and, and likewise, we appreciate all the coverage you guys you guys put out and uh, love this show. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to keep working with you guys as we go along. Awesome. Thank Thanks a lot, Austin. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, and so I think that is going to wrap it up for this week, uh, episode 14 of the Mac Bandwagon Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed those interviews with Nick Petrovich of the Toledo Blade and Austin Chastain of Central Michigan Life. Uh, Sam, any any final thoughts, any words of wisdom for our uh, our listeners before we let them go? Uh, no words of wisdom, just excited. We've only got a month left till Max and a little bit less than that, actually. So 
just looking forward to it. We've got more previews hub, uh, coming up, uh, possibly more interviews around the corner. Just excited for all the Maxion Max content we can handle. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like I said, guys, these next couple of weeks, we're going to do a little bit more of a deeper dive into football. We gave you a quick overview of the schedule here tonight, but moving forward, uh, you know, next over the next couple of weeks, we'll break down each of the divisions, break down some of the teams, and then some of our opinions moving forward. So stick around. We It's been a tough couple of months since they decided to postpone fall sports, but now we're back. Everyone's excited about it. I know Sam and I and, and everyone at the Hustle Belt are. Hope you guys are as well. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by, and thank you so much for the support this far. And we will talk to you guys next week.